and then we'll jump into the story Jesus told. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for these students. Thank you for their willingness to be here tonight. Pray for those that aren't here, uh, that you would draw near to them and comfort them by the work of your spirit and your word. Uh, be gracious, Lord, to speak to us. In the midst of our busyness, Lord, help us to set aside our concerns, or at least bring them to you. Uh, clear our minds from the, the multiple channels of clutter there, so that we can hear what you have to say through your word. We ask these things your name, Jesus. Amen. Every year, once a year, this strange madness seizes a large portion of our population. They do something inexplicable. They gather together in the middle of the night, outside of closed doors, and they wait in the cold. And then, when the place finally does open, they rush in madly, with wanton disregard for life or limb, to fight over some new gadget to give away as a gift to someone. Um, it's really quite interesting. Um, if, you know, this was some thing like bread and you were starving, you could understand someone acting like their life depended on it. Instead, uh, what we find are people desperate, desiring, wanting, acting like their life depended on something, but in fact it doesn't. How do we explain this madness? And it's not just madness for a few crazy people out there, and maybe some of you here. Uh, really, this is something that's sort of true of all of us in, di- in different degrees. How do we explain this phenomenon? And uh, what we're going to see in our text is that uh, there's a powerful force at work, and it's not just consumerism uh, or capitalism at its worst. It's uh, something much more powerful and much more... Uh, what's sneak here? Um, it's your heart. What I'm going to call the wanter at work in your life, uh, leading you to desire all kinds of things. And if given free reign, it will take you to all kinds of places. It promises you life with this next thing, that next experience, this person. You really need this. Life lies in this. And more often than not, when we give it free reign, which we're very willing to do, it leads not to life, but to an impoverished life. And we all have this problem. Well, we're going to see in our our story tonight that Jesus understands our hearts. And uh, he offers us a remedy. He's going to tell us that because our hearts are insatiable, because they are wanters, uh, we must be rich in God. Okay? Uh, The story we're going to read tonight is one of great danger. It doesn't look like it, but it is. One of great danger, one of great loss, and one of great gain. Great gift. Great danger, great loss, a great gift. Well, our story begins uh, in a not very story like fashion. Jesus is, seems to be hanging out with his men or his people doing his normal job, and all of a sudden, some guy in the crowd shouts out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, <coughs> that is, it starts with a uh, random, seemingly desperate cry for justice. That's what this is. This is a cry that someone. Please, Rabbi, give me what is my due. It's my right. And uh, this is not completely out of place because Jesus, being a rabbi, was supposed to be an expert in legal matters. Actually, this could have been one of his jobs if he wanted it. We see Jesus doesn't want the job. We have here a guy demanding his rights. And he's within his rights to ask for this. Jesus uh, doesn't want the job. And we see that. He says in verse 14, Man, and if you suspect that's a little bit harsh, you're right. This is not the exact... uh, most kind way to uh, 
to respond to someone. Jesus doesn't seem very pleased. Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, I don't want the job. I'm not interested in your rights. I'm not. Uh, but I am interested in something else. Uh, and he turns to everyone, says to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. That is, Jesus says, well, while we're talking about it, friend, let's talk about the real problem here. It's not that you're not getting what's right for the yours. The problem is you got a problem with wanting. you have a problem with wanting. And this word covetousness here is a hard one. We don't use this word very often. But in the original language, what, what it actually is implied here is insatiable longing. You've got a wanting problem. You want stuff all, all, all the time. And what Jesus is saying to this man, I think, sort of implicitly is, even if I gave you what was rightfully yours, it wouldn't make you happy. You think it does, but it won't. You're going to find yourself wanting something else. And while I'm on the occasion, let's just talk about it in general. Uh, we're all wanters. Be on your guard. You think that next thing, that next experience, is going to be it. And you're going to find that when you get there, you're going to want something else. You want, want, want. You can't stop wanting. That's the nature of the heart and its dangers. And it's compounded by the fact that we assume, you see that as we read along, uh, in the verse 15, that uh, our life consists in the abundance of his possessions. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't assume that. Well, why does he say that? Because we do assume it. We do assume that the more we get, the more life we're going to have. The more stuff I have, or the more experience I live, or the more stuff I do, because I need that to live, I'll get that thing, I'll have life, it'll make me happy. And then we get it and we find out, well, you know what, actually, I still want some other stuff, because it's not really what I thought it was after all. Where's that life that was promising me? Jesus is saying, it's a bad assumption, that life will be delivered when you get what you want. In fact, he'll go on later, and, and uh, when he calls this guy a fool, and basically what he's saying is, this assumption is, wait for it, Stupid. It's a stupid assumption. That getting what you want will give you life. Interestingly enough, this idea that getting what you want is not just sort of like natural common wisdom, it's actually philosophically backed up by some of the brightest minds in our world. Um, there's a wonderfully huge book I have at my house called The Modern Mind, An Intellectual History of the 20th Century. You do have to be a nerd own that book. You have to be even nerdier to read it. I'm in the first category, not the second. And uh, I did read enough to remember this passage. Uh, this guy is talking about the 20th century, and he realizes, and he's writing, he's very smart. Uh, he, he describes things very well. He doesn't prescribe things very well. He said, sort of what's happened is we've had this proliferation of technology and science. And it's been great. And these things have had philosophical implications and consequences. We've got all this stuff. We've got to do stuff. And now we're like, how do we live? And he asked the question, uh, and it's the question of our age, is the gadget. we got gadgets. We're really good at gadgets. Will they answer our greatest problems as humans, which is alienation and boredom? It's interesting that boredom is one of our greatest problems. Uh, we're alienated. We're lonely. We don't do it ourselves. And we're bored. Is the gadget going to fix that? And he answers... Yes. Very interesting. I tend to disagree. Um, it can certainly divert my attention for a little bit of time, and then we're on to the next gadget. And if, if you think you don't believe what he's selling, the truth is we all do. 
It might not be the gadget, but it is the next thing. What is the next thing for you that you're looking to give you life, to deliver? Uh, all of us are wanters. The question is, what is it that we're wanting? What is, what is it that we're longing for to deliver us abundant life? For some of you, it is stuff. I mean, we've got more stuff than anyone in the history of the world. We're really good at stuff. We're the best people at stuff ever. And yet, we don't have enough. We don't. We don't have enough. Maybe you're Mr. Gadget. The IBM's piece of crap's not good enough for you. You need the Mac. You need the Mac that's lighter than air. Fits on the fingernail, maybe. Uh, you need the Mac. You need the iPad because it's too, the computer's too big, even though it's lighter than the air. And you need the iPhone. And you need the 5G. Do they have 5G yet? No? Oh, man. Can you hurry up with that? Uh, maybe you're Mr. Gadget. You just need the next thing all the time. Or maybe for you, it's clothing. I don't know what it is. Uh, but I've heard this enough. I have siblings. You open the closet, which is filled with stuff. Down one side, across the back, down the other. Shoes all along the floor, and stuff in boxes around the top. You open it, and you say, I've got, I've got nothing to wear. There's nothing here. That's something you can only say if you live in a culture where it's used to consuming everything. That's who we are as a people. And we're looking for the next thing. And you're desperate enough and you believe this enough to beg, borrow, and steal to get that thing. You'll beg your parents, please give me this. You'll beg the school, hey, we really need this. And they'll say, really? Okay. Uh, you'll borrow, and it's much harder to do this with like a Mac, but it's easy to do if you're a woman borrowing clothes. I've learned this from family. Can I borrow that? <laughs> you'll never see that again. Um, or you'll steal. And I don't think any of you are bad people that will go steal from someone else. But you will swipe it on this piece of plastic and pay for it four years from now, which is stealing from yourself. Um, we'll do that. We'll do that. Because we got to have it. If I don't have it, it's like not living. So for some of us, it's stuff. For some of us, it's experience. And that's true for lots of us. I'm old now. My experiences are over. Uh, lots of you, young folks, you're told, hey, it's college. This is the time you try new stuff. You experiment with things. You experience stuff. And I'm not saying don't try new stuff. But some of us try things that we know will make us guilty. That we know will bring us great shame. Some of us are trying things that we're getting addicted to. Uh, some of us are trying things that we never thought we would try. And even if it aren't, they aren't necessarily bad things, we're often trying things looking for the thing. Whatever that thing is, it's going to deliver me happiness and joy. And for a while, we're all tied up in it, and it's great. And then afterwards, our friends are like, hey, what happened with that? And you're like, that's not what I was looking for. Yeah, it's not. You know why? Because you don't know what you're looking for. We don't know what we're looking for. We're looking for the next great thing to bring us life. And so it's from one thing to the next. For some of you, it's status and respect. For some of you, it's experience. But it all boils down to it. Our heart is saying, give me, give me, I want it. And our culture is saying, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. Our culture says, listen to it. It's wise. And Jesus says, really? You're going to listen to that thing? If you judged your own heart by the same standards you judged others, you would never listen to your heart. It's true. If you listen to your own heart by the standards that you judged other people, I mean, it's really easy for you to look and say, man, that's a really dumb decision. I can't believe she's going after that guy. Or, does she really need that? We do it all the time. Judge our hearts by those standards? <laughs> We'd say, I need to keep this thing under lock and key. This thing cannot be trusted. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, really? If 
you're not careful, this thing's going to kill you. You can't trust this thing. You need to guard it. This heart, this wanter, does not have your best interest in mind. Believe it or not. So that's the great danger. And Jesus goes on and says, you know what? <laughs> I think this is what he's doing with the story. You actually probably don't believe me, so let me show you. Let me show you uh, what this thing will do if you let it go its own way. It'll lead to great loss. And Jesus tells a story here. It's a story of great loss. It doesn't start that way. It's, it's like a good story. we got a rich guy. He's already rich. Note that. And on top of his richness, he has a bumper crop. And he finds himself filthy rich, which is a problem because he wasn't ready to be filthy rich. Real problem. I don't know what to do with being filthy rich. I don't know what to do with all my rich stuff. What do I do with all my stuff now? So he finally concocts a plan where he can store up all his stuff. And then toward the end of the story, he realizes, you know what? I've made it. I'm going to retire. I'm done. Let's throw a party. Seems like a good story, right? And what we see instead is, this is a poor life. It's a poor life that leads to great loss. Let me show you how it's poor. It doesn't look poor to you. Let me show you how it's poor. It's poor in regard to reality. This guy needs a dose of reality. Okay? Um, and you sort of see a, a, a sort of a piece of it here in uh, verse 18. I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones. I'll store my grain and my goods. I'll say to my soul, my, 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 everything's mine. Really? You're in farming, friend. Nothing's yours. You don't have a crop God doesn't give to you. You don't produce anything. Did you do that? Did you give yourself a bumper crop? Is this all yours, really? Um, there's no sense that God is anywhere behind any of this. Or that he should perhaps consider now that he's filthy rich that maybe God might want him to do something else with that crop. There's no sense of reality that he lives in a world where people have need and maybe he could give this away. Instead, he lives in his own reality which I think is sadly poor. It doesn't live in reality. And we see also uh, he's poor in regard to relationships. He's a pretty lonely guy. You know what um, Now, in the ancient Near East, if you have a problem, you had gone out and talked to the other guys. You had consulted with the men in the community. They're very communal. He would have walked down to the gate and said, hey guys, i got a problem. Now, perhaps he doesn't have any friends, or perhaps he realizes this is a ridiculous problem. He simply couldn't go say, hey, I've got a problem. Can you guys help me? Sure. What's your problem? Bob? Oh, well, um, I'm filthy rich. I don't know what to do with it. Well, have you considered giving it away? <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. Uh, no, no. I thought I'd tear my stuff down and build it bigger and store it. What do you think? Yeah, I got it there, Bob. That's a great idea. No, he didn't do that. Of course he didn't do that. He has no one to consult with. He lacks relationships. No one to consult with. Moreover, and this is even more pathetic, no one to celebrate with. I've arrived. Let's have a party. Let's invite everybody we know. Okay. Done. I mean, it's not true. He has one person. I have me. Hey, me. Let's throw a party. Okay, cool. Let me go invite everybody. All right. I'm done. I invited me. Let's celebrate me. I mean, you see the way he talks to himself? Hey, my soul. Let's have a party. Okay, me. I'll do that. It's the loneliest guy in the world. It's pathetic. It's pathetic and sad. I'm not, I'm not meaning that in the light of it. This is a poor life. It's a poor life. It's a tragedy. And actually, it's being lived out all over the place, especially in this country and on this campus. People have everything they think they want, and yet they're miserable. Lack wisdom, lack friends to go to when they have a problem. 
like anyone to celebrate with. It's quite interesting. Well, I want to consider for a moment uh, whether or not we might be living poorly. How we might be living the poor life ourselves. As we consider relationships. Do you have friends that you can consult when you have a problem? A real problem. Someone you can go to and say, look, I feel like I've got a problem. I can't fix this. I've been thinking about it. I'm not even sure I can put it in words, but this is it. Will you help me? Do you have someone like that? How about someone you can celebrate with? This great thing just happened to me. Would you come in? Will you share my joy? Or will you get tired of my joy within like 10 seconds and say, dude, that was great. I'm sort of jealous of leaving you now. <laughs> or, I mean, do, they, do they really rejoice with you? Third, do you care to be this kind of person with anybody else? Are you concerned about being a friend to other people? kind of person that someone will look at someone and say, hey, I have a problem. Can I consult with you? Hey, I've noticed you really care for me. Would you like to rejoice with me? Or is it all about you finding someone for you? Have any interest in being in this kind of friend to other people? I, I think most of us don't often. Instead, we're like the guy in the crowd at the beginning. Jesus, I need my stuff and i got a right to it. Can you give me my stuff? And Jesus doesn't want to play our game. He's not interested. We, in our dead-on sprint to get whatever it is we think is going to give us life, are willing to cast aside relationships. We are. What does this guy want? He wants stuff. He wants the stuff that rightfully belongs to him. And some of you are working really hard. You've already, you've already done the cost-balance analysis, and you realize, you know what? A little bit of loneliness is what I have to pay in order to get what I really want. And I really want to succeed and do this and be awesome. So, Get the relationships, and I'll just do it later. I gotta do what I gotta do. Uh, and Jesus is gonna say to you, He is saying to you, I'm not playing your game. I'm not interested in helping you become more miserable and cast relationships aside so you can get what you want, which isn't gonna make you happy anyway. This guy, he wants his stuff. What does he not want? He does not want a relationship with his brother. What's going on? There's a quarrel. Can you make my brother give me what I want? Jesus says, No. Not interested. I'm not a divider. I'm not interested in dividing your stuff. I'm interested in reconciling you. Jesus is interested in your relationships. Who is it now that you've cut off, cut out, pushed out, moved out because you don't have time for them, energy for them, you're just too busy, or the relationship doesn't benefit me anymore? Who is that? Because more likely than not, Knowing you, bright, smart, energetic, success-minded folks, you're so busy running your race with your plans and your goals trying to get what you want, you're not paying attention to the people around you. It's not just you, it's all of us. And Jesus is saying, I am not interested in supporting that effort of yours. Not at all. Not at all. That stuff that you're working so hard for, it's not going to make you happy. I'm all about the relationship. You need to be reconciled to me, you need to reconcile to others. It's relationships. Well, the story of great loss, uh, we see a poor life. We're not done with the great loss. The second part happens much more quickly. Uh, there's a poor life. There's a lost life. In verse 20, this guy, having made plans and thrown a celebration, comes to a sudden realization when God speaks and says, Hey, fool. Literally, Hey, you big stupid. I've got something to tell you. You've done a lot of work. 
storing up all your stuff. It's very nice. Unfortunately, you won't be around to see what happens to it. You won't. Sorry. Who knows what's going to happen to your stuff? It won't be you. You won't be around. Oh, by the way, not just your stuff, it's not yours, but your very life, your soul, you kept calling it your soul. Uh, sorry to tell you, this was never yours to begin with. The loan is up. It's been on loan. You didn't know when it ended? It ended right now. I'm taking it back. It's mine. It's a story of a lost life. It's a sad, sad story of a life poorly lived and lost. Well, that's sad. I'll cheer you up by reading some Shel Silverstein. Although, he can be sad sometimes too. <laughs> Lester was given a magic wish by the goblin who lives in the banyan tree. And with his wish, he wished for two more wishes. And so now, instead of just one wish, he cleverly had three. With each of these, he simply wished for three more wishes, which gave him three old wishes plus nine new. And with each of these twelve, he slyly wished for three more wishes, which added up to 46. Where's that 52? Well, anyway, he used each wish to wish for wishes till he had 5,007,018,034. Then he spread them on the ground and clapped his hands and danced around and skipped and sang and then sat down and wished for more. And more and more. They multiplied while other people smiled and cried and loved and reached and touched and felt. Lester sat amidst his wealth, stacked mountain high like stacks of gold, sat and counted and grew old. And then one Thursday night they found him dead with his wishes piled around him. And they counted the lot and found that not a single one was missing. All shiny and new. Here, take a few. Think of Lester as you do in a world of apples and kisses and shoes. He wasted his wishes on wishing. Friend, Lester, it's the nature of our heart. We want, we want, and we want, and we want. And we can, we can get what we want and pile it all around us and die in our misery and miss out on real life. Miss out on real life. Jesus says, your heart, your wanter, will lead you down that path if you let it. But you don't have to let it. You can be on guard. You can take care. So what does that mean? How do we guard our hearts? What does it mean uh, to take care? Does it mean that, uh, and this is what people often think, I'll use words like puritanical, which means you can only want things that really suck. Just busy yourself with liking and wanting things that aren't very good. Then you'll be happy. No, no, that's not all what Jesus says to do here. Uh, Instead, what we see is that we need to take hold of a great gift, the greater gift. And we see that in verses 32 through 34. Uh, we read of a gift that the Father gladly gives to His children, that of the kingdom. We talked about the kingdom a lot this semester. Shorthand here. That's not just the good stuff when you die. It's the present reality of what God is doing in this world. And now, bringing peace, justice, love, joy, not only to bear in this world, but in the lives, in the real lives of people that trust Him. It's a good thing. It's a good gift. It's the greatest gift. And God's willing to give it to His people. This gift of the kingdom. And we see as we read on in verse 33, that this is a gift that keeps on giving. And this is what I mean by that. Uh, once you have this gift, you realize all of a sudden, you know what? I'm free to give stuff away. 
This is amazing. All my life long, whenever I've wanted something, I've gotten it. And then when I found it, it was, I sort of used it and I wanted something else. And so I got that too. I just clapped the stuff and realized, I don't want any of this junk and I gave it away. This is not all like this. This is, I've gotten this thing. You know what? Man, this is good. I'm so satisfied, I can give everything else away. I'm so content. I don't need this. I'm so content, you know what? I can give myself away. No, I'll just give myself. That's what you see in verse 33. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail. You can give yourself away. You can be content knowing that this gift that you have now, this thing that you've wanted, that you've been given, it doesn't wear out. You can't consume it. No one can consume it. No one can steal it. This thing's eternal. It's not going anywhere. You're not going to get tired of this thing. The gift of the kingdom, the reality of what God does in the lives of His people, you don't exhaust it. And it's so wonderful. You want to give away everything else. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Now, we're so perverse in our hearts, we'll think, hey, that sounds pretty good. What do I got to do to get that? It sounds pretty good. What do I do to I, I want that. How do I get it? How do I earn that? It's the same old story. It's back to the way we've always thought. I want that. Sounds good. How do I get it? You, you, you don't get it. You don't get it. You can't. You can't. It's given. It's given. You can't achieve it. You can't earn it. It's just given to you. You want life. And you find that it's possible to have this because someone else gave their life so that you could have it. You want riches. You're going to find, you know what, you can have it. Because someone else was willing to become poor for you. This is the story of Jesus who gave himself, gave his riches, gave his righteousness, gave his life, so that you could have life. Life abundantly. So how do you have this gift? You have to take hold of Jesus. You have to want him. Not the stuff. Not the goods. Not the life. It's okay to want that. But you have to take Him. You have to want Him. You have to walk with Him. You have to trust in Him. So how do we guard our hearts? First of all, I think we need to cultivate with summing things up. And this is hard. This is about as counter-cultural a message as you can preach. You have to tell your heart sometimes to shut up. Seriously, you live in a culture that tells you trust your heart, just do what you want. Sometimes you have to tell your heart where to get off. You do. You have to tell it to be quiet, that it's full of lies. At the same time, you have to take your heart to a much better place, to the great gift that you have already in Jesus, in the kingdom. You have to feed it well. Your heart craves junk food. It really does. It craves all kinds of stuff. I'm not saying wanting anything is bad. You don't hear me say that. But it's not going to be filled with anything on this earth. You have to take your heart to, to the good place, to the good stuff, to the great gift that is Jesus and feed it well. And what you'll find is this reality. One of the theologians of the past, one of the great theologians, uh, Thomas Chalmers, I have this article on the website, called it the expulsive power of a new affection. You know this reality, actually. You find something so good, so wonderful, so new, that all the barking of those old desires sort of quiets down and goes away, and you don't hear it so much. Because you're satisfied. Because you're content. A little illustration of this principle. There's this thing called the zone diet where you're supposed to like eat healthy for six days and then the seventh day you can eat what you want. 
What has to happen is if you do this week after week, well, you eat healthy for 42 straight days or whatever, and then on the seventh day you try to eat donuts, you get sick as a dog. My stomach's not used to grease and sugar. I don't want it anymore. When you feed on this great gift, you find yourself less and less wanting the junk because you're satisfied, because you're content. I can, I can fight my addiction to porn and shopaholicism and everything else, my striving uh, to succeed because I've got what I need in Jesus and I can rest. So we shouldn't be surprised to see 1,000 people lined up outside of a store desperate to get something. Okay, when you see that, realize that's you, only look for the grace of God to go you. I mean, you're doing something else. Uh, if, if, God could, if people could bottle up and sell what you really wanted, you'd be out there too. Um, what tends to happen, though, we shouldn't be surprised at that. We are surprised when people are so content in life that they give their life away. It happens every now and then. And when it happens, everyone stops and, and takes notice. I, I have a friend like that. Uh, actually, he's more of an acquaintance, so if I was around more, he'd be a friend, and it'd be a privilege to be more of a friend than just an acquaintance with this guy. He's a, uh, an older fellow, an octogenarian at this point, who uh, was in ministry for 40 or 50 years. And he retired about 15 years ago, uh, not because he was old, not because he was running out of his church. In fact, he was full of life, he's bright. Because his wife began to lose her sight and her memory and her mind. Now, in our culture, a man in his place has every right put his wife in a home. There's nothing wrong with doing that. And lots of people would have said, hey, uh, we really want you to come and serve in the church. Hey, you've got so much to offer. And his response then, and with me when I asked, why did you do this and how do you do this? Because he's so joyful. It's a very simple response. It's, for 40 years, she gave me the best years of her life, gladly, without a complaint. She gave me the best 40 years of her life what is it now for me to give her my last years? It's nothing for me to give her the last years of my life. Friends, do we know anything about that kind of love? That kind of relationship? Where having received such love, we gladly give our very lives for someone. You're never going to become that kind of person just feeding your heart whatever it wants. You're only going to become that kind of person and you receive the gift that Jesus has given you, and you realize God has given himself for me. I've got all I need in Jesus. I am satisfied and content. I can love others. I can give myself away and have plenty of life left. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you, the one rich man in all of history, the one man full of life and not death, the one man with a wise heart, uh, gladly gave it all away to a bunch of foolish people who run after foolish things and end up in death. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, you became poor, that we might become rich, that you gave your life that we might live. Lord Jesus, help us, whether we are here tonight as people that don't know you and don't trust you, or even people that say we know you and trust you, Help us, Lord, to grasp you, the gift that you are, and to feed on you, and to find the reality of this contentment, to find our hearts quieted, restful, 
Help us to be wise. Help us to know when to tell our hearts to get off. Help us to be wise to take our hearts to you. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our confession today.